Welcome to this episode of ClearedCast, your source for security clearance, intelligence community, espionage, national security, and defense contracting updates, and our exclusive interviews with intelligence community and government leaders. First, a quick word from our sponsor. Today's podcast is brought to you by Lidos. Lidos has a long history of innovative problem solving dating all the way back to 1969 when Dr. J. Robert Baster founded his crazy little company. Today, they're a global 38,000 employee Fortune 500 enterprise committed to making the world safer, healthier, and more efficient. Lidos' vast experience spans diverse markets, including aviation, defense, energy, government, health, intelligence, science, and space. Search thousands of great career opportunities with Lidos at clearancejobs.com. Hello, hello, and thank you for tuning in to this episode of Cleared Cast. I'm Katie, Editorial Communications Manager with ClarenceJobs.com. And today I am joined by Jill Hamilton, our editor at the news site. And we're going to give you a rundown on what happened on the news site last week, what you can look forward to this week. So Jill, thanks so much for joining me today. Yeah, it's great to be here. I feel like we've been away for a little bit. We have Thanksgiving in there, a quiet one. I don't know if yours was quiet, but mine was pretty quiet. <laughs> Yeah, I no, could, not not too much travel uh, this go around. So mine was pretty yeah. quiet as well. Yeah, we stayed in town. I cooked for the first time in 18 years for Thanksgiving. I mean, I've cooked for a, a <laughs> lot, you know, but, but you know, a little honey baked ham for the win. <laughs> that helped. Right. I, I'm sure that's how a lot of people's Thanksgivings went this year, the cooking for the first time in a long time. So tell us, Jill, what happened in intelligence last week on the news site? This past week, the state of Washington has started to push a COVID-19 notification phone app, which is helpful. You know, like, obviously, there's progress being made with the vaccines, but and contact tracing is a key piece of tracking the virus and slowing the spread. So, but along with, like, similar apps, you know, like, you look at health apps or things like that, it uses Bluetooth technology. So that way it can detect proximity to other phones. So if someone else is running the app and they're using it and they test positive, then you get an anonymous notification um, for all the people that were like within six feet of that person. And allegedly there's no personal data or locations revealed, although I'm not quite sure how that works or how that helps. Like it helps you know who it was or how long your contact was with them. But the DOD has limited in the past what personnel can use and are also when it comes to tracking apps like this are also limiting that use right now. So really the the issue is that when technology relies on geolocation, it could be a security risk, understandably. And it's also understandable that leaders are skeptical about what vendors claim of, you know, app safety and things like that. Because in the past, there's been security claims and then breaches occur. And then we find out, oh, it actually wasn't 100 <laughs> percent. So it's good to be cautious. But the good news is the uh, Defense Health Agency is working on implementing alternate tracing devices that don't link to personal smartphones. So it's not linking to like a geolocation. So it's good that we're making progress in that. And it's just good to keep in mind, like, there are some things that are great. But for clearance holders or for people working in national security, it does bring out some risk there. So and just to keep your eye on what your agency is saying you should be using, as opposed to maybe what's out the latest and the greatest that you're seeing in the news, you know? Sure. So. Well, and uh, I know that, uh, you know, with any application that's going to be tracking 
you know, your location, like uh, Christopher Burgess, I know that he wrote quite a bit about the uh, different beer apps. <laughs> so you're, you know, you're going from bar to bar and you can get points or, you know, some type of discount just for saying that you check in at some bar, but, you know, OPSEC you're supposed to abide by. The interesting thing I found about that article this week, that Palantir has actually been awarded a couple of contracts in terms of contact tracing at a few different military bases. So I know that, you know, that's sort of the direction that the Department of Defense is trying to go into instead of mm-hmm. utilizing these, you know, apps that are sort of on the open source or available to the public that can potentially be breached, like you said, invest in sources or use, you know, applications that are going to be safe for the national security workforce. Or just exposing like location whereabouts that shouldn't be exposed, just like when you're using the fitness apps, then some issues with those as well. So it's just one of those things to maintain awareness about, you know. And then I've been, you know, quote unquote, at ITSIC. <laughs> For those that don't know, it's Inter-Service Industry Training Simulation and Education Conference. So kind of a mouthful. It is, of course, like everything this year, virtual. And But it is a yearly conference that's in Orlando. And it brings together leaders from government, industry, and academia, all to focus on the state of modeling and simulation and pushing that forward for the future, which, of course, the theme this year is the future is now, which is really relevant. You know, we're just dealing with so many different things this year, and it just highlights the importance of pushing the boundaries on what our capabilities are, because the threats we're facing, they're, they're right now, and then they're continuing to evolve. So we have to keep up with that. One of the key takeaways was just highlighting the need for more training which is part of the conference focus is the training and education, not only putting in like STEM in like the hands of secondary education, but also advancing technology in our training. So like everything from flight simulators to different virtual reality, artificial intelligence, fusing all those things together. So as they're highlighting the need for more training, they emphasize that because you know, keeping up with the great powers or great competition we see in the national defense strategy. An important piece of that is training the warfighter. So leaders from all the branches, including Space Force, all recognize that the way to compete is to train because it's always about the people. The people are behind everything. And it was interesting to see Space Force there, especially with their need for modeling and simulation. You know, sometimes you don't think about it, like they can't actually go... And train in space. I mean, you might have an exercise, but all your things that you would do in space are mission focused. And so it's already happening and you need to be ready when you're there. So modeling and simulation play a critical role in the space environment, especially. But we even see like in the Air Force that modeling and simulation more and more, they save lives and they save the cost of training as well. When you don't have to do it live and you have a simulator or you have different exercises that you can do with virtual reality, it reduces the cost getting a plane up there. So there's a lot that this field is pushing. So it was great to see the conference go on. You know, they they emphasize that national security didn't take a year off because we're in the midst of a pandemic. So we have to keep events like this continuing on which is true. I mean, it's what we've been saying all year long too. So (laughs) threats are not sleeping, right? Well, and it's funny, modeling and simulation conference in a virtual environment, right? (laughs) I mean, right. I'm like, if anybody should do this well, this is the conference that needs to do that. (laughs) So in some ways it was interesting because they have people calling in from the Pentagon. That didn't go as smoothly, you know, (laughs) but those who are calling in from home, everything on the platform is working really well. And it's kind of fun to be like in a virtual lobby and kind of able to 
quote unquote walk around and move move things around. So there's a lot a lot of capabilities that were that were there. So it's great. Very cool. No, that sounds like an an interesting conference for sure. What about security clearances? Yeah, security clearances, Defense Counterintelligence Security Agency, you know, DCSA. They gave a quarter four update on processing times. They've touted, you know, process improvements. They've had like VTC options for personal subject interviews, electronic fingerprint, different tech advancements for the application, continuous vetting, all those things have helped them respond to these pandemic conditions that we're in right now. So according to reports, the for DOD, it takes about 136 days to process a top secret clearance and 107 days to process a secret security clearance. While the processing times have had, you know, small ups and downs this year, they're far below prior years due to a lot of the different things that have been put into place over the past years. So COVID-19 is slowing work down just because, you know, background investigations can take longer if you can't go face to face or you're trying to coordinate in different ways that can add some time there. But it's definitely clear that the work's still moving forward and processing times are showing that where we're not having this huge spike in times because of the virus, but we're still maintaining and keeping things low and not returning to backlogs of what we've seen in prior years, you know, so which is good. And then the Department of Energy, same can be said there. Interestingly enough, the reinvestigations were taking a little higher than initial top secret secret clearance processing times. Overall, everything moving in the right direction. The only thing that stood out to me there is that there's a lot less cases. So like in quarter one for Department of Energy, they had 3,358 initial cases and then 3,353 reinvestigations. But then you fast forward to quarter four, and they process 1,797 initial cases and 2,360 reinvestigation. So it's almost half the number of initial clearances to process in quarter four is almost half of what it was in quarter one. The good news is less work should translate to faster processing times overall, which is what the numbers are showing a little bit. So sure, <laughs> that's good, but there are less cases, so... Hmm. And, and, you know, I'm wondering what that correlates to, you know, whether it's folks, I mean, January timeframe compared to now, maybe it's folks that are graduating and, you know, looking to get into the Department of Energy in December or what that correlates to. That's pretty interesting, though. Right. I mean, it could be specific to this year or it just could be a natural flux of like what the Department of Energy finds each year as well. Or if they're just kind of holding steady, you know, and then they're getting caught back caught up on everything, that also makes sense. So we'll see what Q one brings us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so absolutely. Yeah, twenty twenty one is gonna be an interesting year. Uh so how about career advice? Yeah, speaking of looking at the years, because it's a great time of year right now to look at finishing out the year. Cause you know, I think it's important to remember that despite this being a pandemic year, like our eyes for our careers, they still need to be looking at that and how how we can grow. One topic that Candace Frost looked at lately was imposter syndrome. I don't know if you've heard of that before. I think I've heard it and felt it, but I don't know if I've seen it written about. Right. No, <laughs> I, I felt the same. Yeah. After reading it, I was like, huh, okay, that's what that is. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, that's what I felt. For yeah. So um, it's a common trait, I think, that holds people back from performing to the level that we're capable of achieving, you know? So in some ways I think it's a hyper focus on what other people think, 
you know, whether or not they feel like an individual should be filling their current shoes. Maybe somebody gets a promotion and everybody second guesses that promotion in the office. And you kind of feel that have people like looking at you and scrutinizing your every decision. I think it was important to note how helpful mentoring is and moving past this because it's important to move past it. So keep up this year with maintaining those connections and working through those feelings that maybe hold you back. Who knows? Maybe it's easier to run meetings over Zoom than in person. I mean, I would find it other like the opposite to be true, but <laughs> for some that might like having the screen there maybe gives them the chance to step through a little bit more confidently in roles that they're holding because everybody's a little bit off kilter this year. I don't know, but I mean, it's helpful to consider how to not feel like a fake or fraud. And sometimes that happens when we just kind of focus on ourselves. But like Steve Leonard had a piece that pointed out the idea of servant leadership and how we become an ally to others and become a better leader, which is the outward focus towards others, which was, I think they, they contrast against each other really, really well. So for him saying like giving others a voice and decisions, empowering them can help you set aside like personal ego egos or that desire to look good and just do good work together as a team, you know. I think it's just such a balance to have your career in mind in your personal time, but then not focus it on it like when you're actually out doing work. Steve, uh, core principles of servant leadership. I love that he starts off with listening, which is just such a helpful thing to really highlight in a world where everybody wants to speak and be heard. And you know, I think people think that to be a leader, you have to be heard. And really comes down to listening to what others are saying and then moving forward with that information. I think also leading by example, I don't know if you've had different leaders in your past, Katie, that like just put all the grunt work on everybody else and not willing to do it themselves. Or if you've experienced people who are just, they get right in there with you or they don't assign what they're not willing to do themselves, you know? Right. No, I mean, I've certainly experienced that. What I, what I really love about the listening piece is, you know, it's not only something that you can apply to you, your professional life, your personal life, even just listening. Mm -hmm. What a skill that people don't have, but when somebody does have it, it's, you know, it's a breath of fresh air. Right, right. That they're willing to listen to others. Yeah. Yeah. I just think it's in a time like, you know, where we're, we're often not face to face. Or maybe for others, they're on a rotating schedule. So they're only seeing certain coworkers on certain days of the week or not at all because they're scheduled overlap in order to reduce exposures for COVID. I think it's really important right now to think through leadership and team building, especially because in order for us to meet the needs of national security, we have to work together as a team because it always comes back to, you know, the people are the backbone of national security. So we have to foster relationships and develop those teams. And that happens through things like servant leadership and mentoring one another. So it's really good, helpful to think through those things with our careers. Right. No, uh, that's a great piece that everyone should check out on the news site. Uh, again, the listening piece, I mean, professionally, personally, super important. But uh, like you said, in national security, it's really important to be able to listen to your team. And uh, we can count very many examples where leaders did not listen to their teams and it was at the detriment of the U.S. So so uh, what can we look forward to on the news site this week? Yeah, so in the coming weeks, I'll always look for our weekly recruiting content. And then we always have weekly clearance, leadership, workplace, you know, knowledge bombs we like to drop throughout the week. 
So that's always on the schedule. And then this month, especially in December, we'll be looking at different highlights from 2020. So keep your eyes open for that. Like just basically, you know, what could we learn from this past year as we head into a new year? Sometimes that's tiresome to do, but I think it's always helpful to look back and learn so we can apply things going forward. So A year at Clearance Jobs News. I'm excited for that, Jill. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, that's all we have time for today, but be sure to follow us and click that subscribe button on wherever you're listening to this episode of Clearedcast. And as always, if you have any thoughts or questions about security clearances or you want us to dive into a specific topic, just send us a note at editor at clearancejobs.com. Thanks so much for joining me today, Jill. Awesome to be here. This is Katie Keller, editor at clearancejobs.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of Clearedcast. For more information on career and recruiting advice, visit news.clearancejobs.com.